T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's Wednesday night, Audrey, my favorite night of the week because we are hanging out via Zoom, doing what we got to do, the hard work of telling all the awesome kick butt stories happening in Pittsburgh's technology ecosystem. And tonight it's like we're just dropping it right into gear. We can't even warm up. We're just putting the pedal through the metal. And we are talking about Jazz HR. Like, that's what I love about Pittsburgh is that, yeah, there's a pandemic going on. Things are crazy. But Jazz HR is like, whatever, dude. We are going to be actually releasing new products and just, just taking it forward. We have Pete Lampson here today. Pete, and thanks now, for hanging I out with us. I remember when Jazz HR was yeah. a baby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those are the days. Resumator. And Pete has taken this company to a level that absolutely yeah. blows my mind. Isn't it cool? Isn't it cool? It is. So Pete, welcome to the show. We have Pete Lampson on the show and he is at the helm of Jazz HR. Thank you so much for being with us. Jonathan, Audrey, it's great to be here. Jonathan, I, if I had half your energy, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, we could probably be doing even better. So uh, uh, it, it's motivational. We can talk after um, the show if you want to, just saying, you know. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 I got to say, Audrey, it, it's that we, you know, the, the thing that we are just have been so blessed with is the teams that we have in our Pittsburgh and, and Waltham office. They make my job easy. I get to come on and chat with the two of you and talk about the high level of kind of exciting yeah. things that we're doing and results we've driven, but it really is the team that we've got. And we're so grateful for all of our folks in Pittsburgh. So we're, I'm glad to be here. Well, I, first of all, you need to yeah. be, tell us that you're safe and sound. We are. There has and been a little bit of a hot spot in Boston. It has been. And, um, and, and uh, so, but, but uh, we've been home since March 16th. When I say we, all of our employees. Mm-hmm. Just like us. And while remote employment is kind of a, 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 a even before all this was trending uh, in the business community, we were very much not that. We were a, we want everyone in the office so that we can learn from each other kind of place. And that has served us well. But um, uh, this has forced a change. And I'll say that the, the, the team has responded so well to this. We haven't missed a beat. And, and, uh, so we're, we're most of all we're grateful to be to be healthy and safe, um, but but also just you know the the adoption of and, and ability to work from home effectively has been really really impressive by That's everyone. That's great. So also grateful for that. So Pete, tell us about Jazz HR real fast. Give us the quick elevator pitch so people understand what you do, and they'll, that'll make them understand why this new white white label announcement will be very exciting for them. Yeah. So um, Jazz HR was founded by Don Charlton in Pittsburgh in two thousand and ten. 
We love um, them. And so fast forward uh, about 10 years, and we are a recruiting solution for small businesses, which we sort of loosely define as a, a company with somewhere between 25 and 500 employees. Um, we have 6,000 uh, customers today using Jazz HR uh, all over the world, although mostly in the United States, about 92% in the United States. Um, we've got uh, uh, about 80 employees in total, so we're still relatively small, but most of which are in Pittsburgh. Yes. And uh, we've, been, we've been growing at a pretty good clip, 30 plus percent for the last couple of years. And, wow. and, and while we've hit a little speed bump, as everyone has over the last couple of months, we're, we're seeing really encouraging signs that we're um, not only we as a company, but we as a nation are starting to pull out of this and, and we get a front row seat tumba to some of the small business hiring trends, given you see job posts and what industries right. are hiring and which industries are not and so forth. And I'll say that while April was tough, I think for everybody and, and late March, probably the same, uh, May has been really, really encouraging. So not back to where we were, but, but absolutely going in the right direction. That's what I want to hear. I mean, that's just fantastic. So you are in many ways the canary in the coal mine. Yes. I mean, we, no question. And we're so, are you seeing any trends? Like we are actually. So we've got about, um, well, prior to this starting, uh, and let's, which will let's loosely define that, at least from an economic impact, not a health impact, as, as early to mid-March is when it really kicked in for most of us. We had about 120,000 jobs listed on Jazz HR, so active jobs uh, across our 6,000 customers. Okay. And sort of from peak to trough, that dropped down to uh, a low of about 102,000, wow. which is kind of notable because over the last four years, at least that I've been on the scene, it's been it on a up, steady, up, right? steady upward march. Like there's been no drop ever. And so all of a sudden we had a big drop of, let's call it 20%-ish. But in May, about 10,000 of those came back. So we're not back where we were, but even in this land of 20%-ish US unemployment, I think that the official numbers are somewhere near 15, but I think everyone agrees that when the May numbers yeah. come up, that's gonna be a little bit higher. We're seeing hiring, and we're seeing it in the pockets that are, are intuitive. So we're seeing it in healthcare. We're seeing it in... Um, logistical supply chain management. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it in technology for all the technology providers that are helping us live our day-to-day -day lives working remotely. So, so, uh, and a lot of that is credit to certainly our marketing uh, team and our sales teams for, for actively seeking out those industries who might most benefit from a service like ours. Um, mm -hmm. And then areas that, that, that the flip sides of that coin, of course, is, is where, where we're seeing the downturns. And again, kind of intuitive. It's, retail. Um, right. We don't do a lot of restaurant business, but we see it in the restaurants that we do have and so forth. So it's, it's, the, it's the obvious places that you read about in the headlines every day that are perhaps slowing hiring. Um, and then, and then but, but there's, there's still a lot of, of new jobs being created, um, not nowhere near to offset the, the 40 million jobs that we've right. lost, which is but you're tragic, seeing it but, increase. But it's, it's the canary in the coal mine, Audrey, as you said. Things are beginning to go back in the right direction, which is really encouraging. So, Pete, tell us about this new white label announcement. I'm very excited about this because this is a big deal, and you're rolling this thing out in the middle of all this. It is, and we're really, really excited. So I, I got I to gotta provide a little bit of context for, for what white label is. So we 
offer Jazz HR to the U.S. small business community really in one of two ways. Um, first, we sell directly, which is just what you'd think. Small businesses can purchase directly from Jazz HR, but increasingly they sell through channel programs or strategic alliance partners. Okay. Um, so, so it can be local benefits brokers, uh, HR consultants, um, recruiters, their businesses who also offer Jazz HR to their customer base or even large customers like ADP and their 850,000 small businesses. They wow. offer Jazz HR to their customers. Oh. Um, we've got about a total of about 650 channel partners combined, some very large brands you know and some a little smaller. But up until yesterday, they would offer Jazz HR using the Jazz HR brand. And we think that's fantastic. And we've had great growth in our, in our, in our channel, sales, channel sales strategy. But now, if they choose, they can also offer it using their own brand. So our entire solution can be branded to them. Their, that is their cool. brand name, their colors. So if they're more comfortable doing that, if it's better for their customers, the entire thing can be white labeled to their own brand. That's amazing. I, that's, that's such a cool thing. I mean, this is really going to be rocking you guys forward. I mean, it's just giving them that option and it's going to make it an even easier choice. We hope so. We think so. That's the intent. Certainly. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Audrey, I love it. If people want to reach out to you and they want to be channel partners, should they yeah. do that? You can uh, go to jazzhr.com and right on the top right hand side of the page, you're going to see a uh, the, a button that says partner and you click on that and it'll tell you everything you want to know and it'll show you who to reach out to. You are the best. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's too fast. We got to rock it off to the next segment, but I'm so glad you had the time to stop by, catch us up on the good news about more jobs being posted to Jazz HR and your new white label thing. Amazing stuff. Kicking butt despite it all, man. You're the best, Pete. Thanks for everything you both do and great to be here. Good stuff. Audrey. Glad to hear from you. We got a ton of tech vibe right in front of us. We have, of course, uh, Fred Brown from the Forbes Fund, and we also have uh, our guy Chris Bravacos from the Bravo Group for a double deep dive. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. Go to pghtech.org and learn all about the Tech Council right there. So, Audrey, you know, we're doing a double deep dive tonight. We promised. We're, we're going two segments. We're going to learn a little bit about the truth if you know what I mean, the digital truths for every organization. And we have one of the leading experts yeah. hanging out with us. And so that's why we're stretching it out. We have to. I, yeah, listen, here's the thing. I, I'm glad that Chris with Bravo Group is with us, but I think you need to do more than media. I think so too. Yeah. So there could be some therapy that goes along with it as well. Chris Bravo goes on and introduce him to our world. Thank hey there, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. We are so excited to talk to you tonight because we had we, we believe is some really pertinent, really useful information for our listeners, that's for sure. Well, thanks for inviting me. Right, so talk about what Bravo Group sort of is. Um, yeah, that's not an existential question. We're, uh, <laughs> we're, a, we're a communications firm. Um, you know, a more, uh, certainly a more modern one. We do... We do work. Uh, we're based in Pennsylvania, but we work. We've worked uh, all over all over uh, the country and and uh, some work in a few other continents. And we're focused on clients that are uh, want to get you know big things done. By and large, we've been involved in a lot of the uh, advocacy fights in Pennsylvania, in particular. And uh, and so we approach things with a campaign style. Um, you know, and a level of urgency, uh, and, and with digital at the, 
the center of everything that we do. And so, but it is fascinating. So if someone, I want our listeners to really understand what problems that they might be experiencing, why they should reach out to you. Um, well, digital, you know, uh, digital is a proxy for the offline world. It's, it's something that, uh, you can't divide. Um, you know, where, let's say five years ago or 10 years ago, uh, we would think of digital and social from a communication standpoint as, as another potential tactic. Um, and, in politics, it's really started off uh, and got everyone's attention. It was Howard Dean's campaign that proved you could raise money with it in mm-hmm. 2004. Right. Um, and then others followed, um, you know, as fast as they could. By In 2008, the Obama cam- campaign used it to prove that you could also distribute volunteers and you can um, essentially run an organization um, without having to proscribe everything in, in particular. Um, and then by 12, it was, it was shown, and again, in the presidential elections, you know, both Twitter, the dominance of Twitter for driving the mess, driving messages among um, those that are uh, the media and disproportionately influential, those, those, you know, so setting news days and, and everything else. But it was also, and it was also used to prove that you can spend digi- you can spend all your media budget at a much more efficient way um, by looking at your audiences holistically and then optimizing where to where to spend. And again, the Obama campaign did, was did that um, you know very very effectively. Um, and then by sixteen, we ended up in electing a, a president um, who who was using Twitter to tell the news organizations what the news was going to be every day. Um, you know, and he was able to control the control the cycle. Um, you know, we've seen entire governments fall, the Arab Spring and everything else. But yet what we find almost consistently with clients is they still look at digital as something um, that's an elective, right, not, right. not yet right. right? And that's why we have you here today because you, you authored this awesome, awesome article that's on our website, pghtech.org, pghtechfuse.com. It's, it's digital truths for every organization. So it's like a really quick read, good primer for people to get thinking about that digital is not just a selective, it is a, it is a must. And I'm so excited for us to nerd out on that because we have all the points and we're, we're going to kind of go through those points like almost one by one because we think they're that important Have you kind of kind of work our way through it as far as that is. So we are pumped. That is for sure. So I, I think we should start from the top, Audrey. What do you think? Well, I think so too. I, I, I have so many questions in terms of this digital truth and, you know, and, and all the iterations that have occurred since then, whether it's the use of bots, the strategies, you know, inside of that, how to discern the truth. So let's start, I would say start from the top, Jonathan. So the idea of uh, digital and social media communications isn't just someone's job, it's everyone's job. And this I wholly love. It's this distributed thing where everyone's got to be thinking about it, everyone's got to be active. Tell us about that. Um, Yeah, the, when we think of, when we think of the rise of tech, to help support companies and businesses. Um, it was, you know, by and large, it's, it was administrative function, a, CI, a CIO and um, the, the back office and, and everything that helped permit people to do a better job. By and large, tech is now the product. Uh, one way or another, the, the primary way that any, almost any customer experiences um, businesses is, is through that. And, you, you know, we've seen that acceleration with, with the, certainly the pandemic, uh, but, but, for instance, companies that like a Panera 
that was um, out in front in terms of uh, modernized apps. So the experience when I walk in and I can have a kiosk um, right, right away and, and order detects the product, right? Like that's how we experience it and that's how we know it. So if you have people in the company that think digital is just for the mar- you know, just, just for certain people, um, then, then they're not thinking holistically of how people experience the brand. I mean, the reality is you have, you know, we all have, unfortunately, utilities we have to pay. Well, the utility, I go to a utilities website, I have, how, how I navigate through that matters um, an awful lot. And if, the, and if the website's talking about investor relations all the time, uh, about shareholder value, well, I don't think they, I'm not so sure they value me. Um, exactly. So you have, so, you know, so while we have divisions in companies, we don't have divisions in brand um, or cause or experience. And, and so they're, they're collectively um, have to be put together. And that builds exactly on the idea that you must build relationships, not just transactions, right? Yes. And yeah, so I think the power of digital is exactly that it it has all the tools for a relationship and you can't, you know, um, you can't define a relationship as one sided. We trade things, we trade things of value. Um, And if we don't, then it's, then it's a relationship you should probably get out of, right? It can't be, it can't be just on, on one side. And, and almost any organization has lots of things to share um, from a relationship side in terms of their knowledge and um, everything else to help people make progress in their lives. There's some reason that somebody's using a product that's, that's, almost, that's always connected to a problem that they need to solve, that they need to make progress on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and almost always that's, that's under-communicated uh, by, by organizations. It's misunderstood, though, even though it's... You know, many people don't understand why it's important to make that profound of a shift. And is that some of the work that you do? Because you know, it is it is this whole old terminology of change management, but it's really a deep, deep shift. It is. It's more fundamentally understanding the value of what you you have to you have to offer. Um, and, and it, it goes to, it goes to the, what, the reason why an organization exists. So is there anything before we take a break yeah. in terms of, you know, this, this whole notion of, um, getting it, what it would be like to get engaged into unraveling this inside a company? Um, what might I be involved in would you be working? Who would you work with? Who would you? Um, start to get engaged with well the chip the t- i mean typically it it has to involve more than one silo um, if it doesn't if it doesn't have executive sponsorship across silos um, exactly then then it really can't be achieved because again it's got to be everybody's um, everybody's job and understanding right so that- for those executives who are out there and you're wrestling with issues around this, stay tuned don't go away with Chris Bravakos, who uh, I just made a French terminology of his last name, but of Bravo Group. And uh, we will come right back because I think there's going to be some issues that you're going to be interested in. This is Audrey Russo. And this is Jonathan Kirsten from the Pittsburgh Technology Council. Learn more about us at pghtech.org. Hang tight. We're coming right back with more Bravo Group, we swear. Just as promised, Audrey, we are back with more Tech Vibe Radio and Chris from the Bravo Group. And we are talking about digital truths for every 
organization. And uh, we're going through some great points here. We've already covered some great things about just making sure that like, that, that, that you build relationships, not just transactions. And that, you know, that at the end of the day, you know, communications and social media, are, it's everyone's job. You know, it becomes this organizational wide thing. And I'm just so glad that uh, we have Chris hanging out with us to keep going over some of these, these awesome points. Great. Hey, Chris, thanks for staying with us and doing a little bit of a deeper dive. Thank you. So Audrey, where should we start off again? Yeah, like let's, let's start, let's take it, take it from where we left off. About the idea of looking at around, uh, you know, data that you generate must be collected and organized. I think everyone knows oh they're they're collecting data, but they don't know how to organize it and then what to do with it after it is organized. So what's yeah. up with that? Yeah, Chris, you really do understand that. I, I after spending time with you, I actually have you know called called you like the um, process control room uh, <laughs> leader. Call you like. Does that sound right? I, it, um, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, I, the point of the date with respect to data is everybody already is generating data. It's nothing to be scared of. Your websites generate it. Your social, media's cha- um, social media channels generate it. Um, your email, you know, your, uh, whether it's uh, your emails, every single digital asset touch point already generates data. It's just whether you're actually collecting it and, and using it or not. So when somebody mentions first-party data, um, you you have it at your fingertips. Um, you just don't have a strat. You just don't have a strategy to harness it. Um, there are a lot of good tools to help do that. Um, and and the challenge with data is only in the day that you start collecting it do you start getting better um, at utilizing. And yet it's yet it's it's as valuable as a asset as you can potentially have. Well. You know, but the thing is, you have an uncanny ability to try to segment that data in a way that many of us just don't even know how to ask. So could you give some examples of that? Like you have email, you have social media, you have website, you have traffic, you have articles, you have blogs, you have all this stuff. Yeah, so there there are... Um, you know, with, a, with any organization that's going to attempt to do this, you know, this kind of work, um, you just need a stand. You need to have a standardized approach to it. So there's there's way there's ways that data can can be tracked um, based on the content um, that you're generating, the emails, everything else. Um, and there's there's commercial products that are available that help do that. Through you know, you have to build a tech stack um, within your company that that. Um, we'll do this to help make, make sense of it. There's lots of different options in terms of how to pull it together. Um, but if you don't start the process of collecting it, that's where your challenge is. Once you have the data, then you can, then you begin understanding in a deeper way um, who your audiences are on a behavioral level, not, not just a demographic level, which was a more traditional way to think about it. And, and then as you progress, you're able, you're able to develop marketing you know, marketing funnels for whatever actions that, that are, uh, you're interested in. And the data allows you to provide more personalized experience for, um, you know, for, for those that are receiving your communications. But, but all of those things are, you know, what's foundational is collect the data first um, and, then, and then work uh, going well, forward. Jonathan and I, we collect the data in our world. We collect the data and they're nice, beautifully um, marked tick marks essentially. 
and we do so much with it afterwards too. And we look at it and we go, that really didn't tell us anything. Oh, that's a lot. That's really good. That's a lot. <laughs> How do we make this actionable? <laughs> and then we go, and then I go, Jonathan, just keep doing that. That's a lot. <laughs> tick, 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 tick. <laughs> I mean, all kidding aside, we try to be as sophisticated as we can, but we do try to balance the art of managerial intuition with the few pieces of data that we have. And that could, uh, there's always, I, go ahead, I'm sorry. That go could ahead. be dangerous, right? It, it can. I mean, I, you want to, you know, you want to start with an, start with an approach where you, uh, because you're collecting it all, you let, you know, you're able to see where things will, will take you also. Um, I, one of the bigger, the bigger challenges, and I, I do make this point in the piece that, you know, uh, communications within the digital age is not about what I, I want to tell you. It's what, it's what you, you as the receiver of information want to know. Um, and that's that's a fundamental paradigm shift, both for the organ, organizing websites and um, and certainly emails and everything else. Like it's, I, I have to compete against everything else you're receiving, um, and and I think the average person goes through more than a hundred yards of just social feed scroll. So so why did someone thought about that in terms of feet scrolling down my screen? And how you made that very concrete to me. <laughs> I have a whole mind field, right, of somebody going through it, and then um, and it's your job to have them stop. So it's that, like dental floss, dude. It just keeps going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, do you think that um, companies really just do need to have someone who's a data scientist on their team? Not, not, I, not always. No, I think there there are products. I, certainly, data. Certainly, um, it, that is connected to the level of sophistication um, and, and and the need the need for it. I think one of the points I make is that that you have to. Um, you have to match your creative content with your data resources. And, and it's really the, um, the parallel is in, you know, when you do market research, don't ask questions. You're not going to be able to act, have any action on, on data. It's the same. It's the same idea the insight. You have to be able to execute against the insights. And that still requires really good creative or good, good communications. So it doesn't help me to have all data and nobody that can do, do creative and have all and clearly, um, we're in a world where you can't have, you know, you, you can have, you don't want to be doing all your great creative without any data. So you have to match, you have to right. match. Both that's of one of the things that we wrestle with. And I would imagine all your listeners will wrestle with that. It'll be one side of the seesaw or the other and what that delicate balance is. Right. I mean, that's it, really, that's the tricky part. I think if you have a great dashboard and you have great input that, my takeaway from from your thinking and your work is that that's where the truth lies in there. It it does it does, and if that can be made of you know if that's available to a broad you know broad section of of the people within your organization that are all working on the same problem, then then that's highly effective yeah. uh, because they can execute against the information. I, you know, an, an analogy in sports is that um, you know the it really started with the, the analytics movement started in baseball. Um, and, you know, it's Bill James and all these, all these folks that before we heard about Moneyball that were already surfacing all these insights, you know, mm -hmm. we're 20, we're coming on 20 years since Moneyball got um, laid out and like, literally here's how you can be successful, but you didn't get adoption. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a human, there's a human factor to it. And there's a, yeah. the, the idea of, well, we always did it this way. Um, we, we see this with the pandemic and it's, this is a question um, are, are only people who are health professionals qualified 
um, to do math, to do the math and extrapolation. It's the same it seems question. like it has to be like the culture of your company just has to be fully embraced this. Like it just can't be positions and responsibilities, but it's like everyone just really has to live and breathe this. It feels like to me. I, if, and if you have your metrics, if you, if you're able to have the, as, as Audrey mentioned, the dash, you know, a dashboard that's aligned to objectives, um, then everybody should be focused on the, you know, are we achieving the objectives and what, and what are our barriers in which to do so, uh, which is a different way to operate in communications. I mean, it's, it's unfortunately possible and we see all the time, everybody in the company does the job that they're, that it says their job description, they're all doing their job, but the comp, but the company or the entity is not achieving the goal. So how does that happen, right? So there's a misalign. There ends up being a misalignment with tasks versus an actual strategy. Mm -hmm. No, totally agree. It's heavy lifting work, but this is the perfect time, I think, in in terms of for so many companies that are in the midst of, uh, you know, this sort of good point earthquake and you know, <laughs> you know, period of time in this pandemic that it's caused everyone to re hopefully rethink about where they're headed or where they were and to take chances. I mean, to me, this is the time to take these chances and these, this is the time to do this kind of work. If, if you don't do it now, when will you do it? Absolutely. And just, just like you guys have seized on what was a new, you know, a pool of opportunity right. during this time, that is exactly what uh, any, any organization has to be doing. You have to be open to things that you wouldn't have otherwise thought of because we, you know, we, we just had a hurricane hit um, and there's going to be, you know, what happens when a hurricane hits a beach, you have a new beach. Yeah. Right? So, I love it. That's exactly right, man. That is exactly right. Right. That's a good, I love, yeah, I love that kind of um, descriptor. I think that these are exciting times and the work that you're doing and the articles that you've written are really relevant. And, you know, secret is getting on the boat. You're, you know, right after the hurricane, you know, when the skies are blue and you're looking around and saying, okay, how can I grab that? I'm going to start making sandcastles. Okay, well, we've got, been talking. got this whole new beach, right? So let's have some fun and build some sandcastles as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have time for one more point and we're not going to get to all of them. And I did that purposefully because I want people to read your article by going to pghtech.org and checking it out. But I think your last point kind of sums the whole thing up when it's the idea of humility and optimism are absolutely positively required when it comes to all of this. Yeah, that's a, and that, and that ends up being certainly in the communications field, a bit of a change, change of uh, perspective, right? That, um, you know, we, we've always felt like as long, as long as I say what I meant to say, then that I've achieved my job. Um, <laughs> and, and it never, we're, we're, it's never exactly right. And so the, you know, you can embrace this if you know that you can be better every day. Um, and, and you can embrace it if you, if you can acknowledge that you may not always know exactly what needs to be said. Um, that doesn't mean that you don't try it. And to your point of building castle, new castles on the beach, you, you're going to build some that will fail. Um, but but if you, as long as you go and you learn it together, um, then, then it's an amazing process for um, everybody that, that you work with in the organization itself because, it, um, because you're, proce you're proceeding for the re very reason that you work. Um, and that, and that's, a, that's an incredibly powerful, important um, uh, way, way in which to work. And, uh, and that's sustainable. Fascinating insight all the way around, Chris. So glad you got to join us tonight. What's your website so we can nerd out over there too? Uh, bravogroup.us. 
That's what I'm talking about. Just that simple. Audrey, I told you, man, he's got some great stuff. It makes me so happy to get this out. I know. And I thank everyone for their, for their patience on this because part of my questioning is self-serving because it helps. <laughs> you know, I, can't, I can't thank you enough. Thanks to the Bravo group. This is Audrey Russo. This is Jonathan Kirsting. We're at the Pittsburgh Technology Council. Learn more about us and our awesome members like the Bravo group by going to pghtech.org and check out Chris's article there. Audrey, you know when it always comes to our last segment of Tech Vibe Radio, I always say we left the best for last. We do. You like to say that. I do. I like to say that. I stage these shows as such to where I build this momentum and this curve, see? So there's absolutely no pressure at all on our guest, Fred Brown, here from the Forbes Fund. So just saying, man, no pressure at all. (laughs) Well, I think, listen, first of all, welcome. Welcome, Fred. Thank you for joining us. I know that you have been through a very, very busy time just having your finger on the pulse in terms of all things nonprofit in our world. But I want to introduce everyone to Fred Brown of the Forbes Fund, and their focus is really around advancing the region by strengthening nonprofits, which is really important in this day and age in particular. Now more than that. We have so, the need is so great, and the amount of investment is shrinking. So on that note, I would like to bring Fred on and just talk about what is the Forbes Fund and welcome. Hey, welcome. Thank you for having us on, Audrey and uh, Jonathan. We're grateful. Um, the Forbes Fund is 37 years old. It's a historical institution. It was birthed out of the Pittsburgh Foundation and really focused on helping nonprofits that were struggling with budgetary cuts that may have been happening at the state level. And so the impetus was really to serve as a stopgap. Over the years, the Forbes Funds has evolved to really look at how do we think forward about supporting organizations, thus taking on this role of stabilizing the nonprofit sector by looking more at how we can make strategic investments in it so it could be more self-sufficient and proactive versus reactive. Now, you're not new to the nonprofit world. You're not new to the nonprofit world. You mm-hmm. might be relatively new to the Forbes Fund, but you're not new to the nonprofit world. Yeah. So just talk about that because that I think people should understand that you have a lot of perspective. Thank you. Um, so I have about 35 years in the nonprofit sector. Uh, my most last three significant experiences, I was the associate director at the Kingsley Association. Mm-hmm. Um, our biggest crowning activity while I was there was the recipient of the $30 million Choice Neighborhoods Award that was driven by a lot of the work that the Heinz Endowment supported us through. I'm in partnership with the Councilman Ricky Burgesses and the Mayor's Office. The impetus was to create a sustainable community design focus that was driven by people of color, and it became one of the Fed's most um, um, high-performing grants that they've made with regards to sustainable community design over 400 uh, units who came out of that particular project. Um, prior to that, I did a lot of work. I worked at Presley Ridge. I was a case manager. Prior to that, I was a school teacher. Prior to that, I was a probation officer. Um, prior to that, um, I could. Good Lord, man, you got some experience. Okay. Right. Amazing. <laughs> I think I think we know why that you're king in this space. Absolutely, man. (laughs) I totally think we understand that. Well, talk about why this is, what are the challenges that are facing these nonprofits today? Like right now, 12 plus weeks into this 
surreal existence? Well, I think the challenges nationally is there's over $200 billion the nonprofits spend in the sector as a business entity. And when you look at that trajectory and you look into the abyss and you see that probably a third of the businesses will shutter as a result of COVID, then you start to look at, well, what domino effects does that have on the nonprofit sector? And I think they're tremendous. One, not many, I would say, um, in our sector, almost 47% of the nonprofits we work with have $4 million or less budget. Over mm-hmm. half have a million dollars or less budget, meaning that not many of those nonprofits have more than a month worth worth of operating reserves. Wow. Um, so when you start looking at what happens when you shut down the system, and that's just maintaining your current operations, that's not taking into account a contract, a state relationship, or a partnership may dissolve as a result of this. And so we've been trying to forecast for the past basically two years, what kind of shocks and stressors would come to the sector? How could the nonprofit sector pivot as a result of that? And so our work has really been um, informed by that projection. And our most recent grants have been what we call a counter narrative to that. Um, And so we supported about a million dollars of investment prior to pre-COVID to look at this notion of what if we put an injection of resources into small cohorts uh, within 10 to 12 communities and flushed out this way that they could be more um, salient with their delivery of a set of program deliverables, but collaborative as a result of the comprehensive nature of the work. Well, I mean, how important to Southwestern Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh in general are nonprofits? I mean, how much of the workforce yeah, is in nonprofits or any way that you think is important to measure? Well, I think that from estimates in the past, approximately around 26% of the non-technical workforce in our area is supported by nonprofits. No kidding. Jeez. Wow. That's so does, that include, does that include our hospitals? And so when you take into account the hospitals, the support systems, daycare systems, um, nonprofit agencies, after-school programs, um, health programs, supportive programs. There is a plethora of cross-functional supports that will be damaged by COVID. And, and as you know, most nonprofit work is not technical as far as using technology. It's more person-to-person. It's an opportunity to really build people's skills up so they can pivot Mm-hmm. and move into other work trajectories that are offered in the sector. And so I think there's several challenges. One is you move many nonprofits that's, that's used to doing people face-to-face work to using technology. Mm-hmm. We already see that even teachers have struggled who teach every day to move from teaching live to using technology. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Just, yeah. that's a big conundrum, right? So then you look at that, then you look at our work is based on people-to-people engagement and that work is to build up the sector and people's ability to take advantage of what's happening in the region. So there's so much, go on. I said, there's so much uncertainty about what's our new emerging economy before COVID. We had the text ads and med sector. We were looking at artificial intelligence and robotics. We were looking at manufacturing. And now we've seen a decline in those areas, 
And in particular, a large growth area for this sector was the fossil fuel sector mm. and impacted. And so okay. when you look at the whole cacophony of challenges to the sector, and we don't know what um, new investments are going to be made, and the current investments don't reflect what we think the pivot's going to be, at least from my perspective, which it, you know, the current investment by the feds has been in to, to prop up the oil and gas industry, which I think is critical. But I think there also is an opportunity to look at what is the new emerging economy and how can investments be made into the technology sector, which in many ways is having a threefold job replacement framework compared to the fossil fuel sector. That's a great right. point. Great exactly point. Exactly right. To remind our listeners, we're talking to Fred Brown here from the Forbes Fund here on Tech Vibe Radio. So I'm assuming, Fred, this has probably been one of the most interesting points in your career, your long career. This is probably one of these where you're taking all the skills that you've acquired over the past 35 plus years and you're putting them all to good use right now. What's it been like trying to guide this and, and, and kind of be this focal point for all these nonprofits that are kind of looking at you right now? Jonathan, that's a great question. I think the challenge has been to break the cycle of being a grant maker to assistance design content expert. Hmm. And I think that many of the, for the past 40 years, we've been trying to resolve problems through grant making through, and this is no indictment on, on philanthropy. It's just that right, our, right. our way of solving problems has been, let's focus on education. Let's focus on healthcare. Let's focus on housing. And the way I see the world, I see the world through a lens that it's all connected. It's not segregated. And how we shifted and how the board supported the shift of the Forbes funds 27 months ago was we took our grant making and moved it from individual grant making to systems grant making. In that pivot, we've adopted the social determinants of health as our construct for making grants. And then we look at in each grant pocket, how much resources we're allocating to a particular area based upon need. And so it creates an equilibrium in our grant making that allows us to have more of a, a, a way of forecasting the challenges in the sector based upon that approach. But that takes, and then that shift causes different leadership skills. So, and we only have a couple of minutes left. So talk about leadership. I think leadership, the biggest shift Audrey is moving from transactional to transformational. It's moving from being an independent thinker to a collaborative thinker. It's moving from being an independent actor to a project manager. I think you have to be able to harness the collective gift skills and talents of your partners and put them in positions to be successful. And your ego has to take a back seat to that so that you can perform at a higher level. And for me, this is about serving humanity. So my ego is not at the forefront of this work, what's most important is that all people in our community thrive as a part of the opportunity and the nonprofit sector is integral in creating the, the bridge from um, th surviving to thriving. And I think that's the role that we really play. Yeah, and I do think that we will see a drop in the 26% in our region in terms of nonprofits. And I think that, yeah. that will shrink and that might be okay. And that might be okay. I always look to the future with, with some sense of optimism and, and, and refreshing, just a refreshment and a perspective. So what's a website that people can go to if they're interested in understanding more about your work? They can go to www.forcefunds.org. Um, once you get on the website, you can navigate, that, uh, navigate around there and see our other programming. 
We're currently revamping our website as we speak, but mm -hmm. our current website gives you the fundamental pathways to look at our current work. I would suggest to anybody who hasn't been to our website, go to our video. Um, our video really gives you a really comprehensive overview of our work and how our work um, plays out at the national level, local level, global level, with mm -hmm. this regional taste of what's going on and how we can work collectively together to make a collective impact in the sector. That's really awesome. So thank you. I know that we are we're thrilled that you're leading this work and uh, we look to have future conversations with you. Absolutely. We really appreciate understanding what the Forbes Fund does. And we know during this time of this pandemic, whether it's slow, the slow time and we begin to see things flatten the curve, that the impact has been indelible. We are not going to forget this time. This time is imprinted like a tattoo on all of us. So I can't, I can't thank you enough for your work and you know, for your leadership and for our listeners to know that you can go to the website at the Forbes Fund, but you can also look for more. So thank you. See, Audrey, I told you Fred would bring it. You can't end the show in a better way. Thank you everyone for tuning into Tech Vibe Radio tonight. This has been Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. Learn more about the Pittsburgh Technology Council by going to pghtech.org and have yourself a really awesome evening, everybody. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend it here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t -Mobile .com. 